millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I used to go to the Brighton Zoo quite a lot in the 80s when I was a child. And it was really exciting for me to go there because I get to see animals like crocodiles. I lived in North Beach as a kid, so I visited often and loved it. It was kind of magical as well because it was just sort of the suburban environment around the corner from my grandmother's house. Kia ora, I'm Sonia Yee and you're listening to Eyewitness. And like Andrew, Miles and Aaron, I also remember visiting the New Brighton Zoo as a kid. The mini zoo was along the right-hand side as you head towards the beach at 153 Beach Road in Christchurch. A former aquarium, it was reimagined by Bill Gray, who bought it in the late 50s and ran it until it closed in 1996. Now, I must have been in preschool when I visited, so my memories are pretty vague. Apart from seeing a crocodile in a small enclosure where it barely had any room to move, Now that's an image that's remained in my memory ever since. As I got older, I remember feeling strange about that zoo. It seemed so out of place. So I decided to put the feelers out on Facebook, along with a picture of a lion, to see if anyone else could remember it. There were some pretty strong reactions and mixed feelings about it. And like mine, there were also some vague memories. It was a crocodile in a tank at the front. Was it a crocodile or an alligator? I was terrified of it because it looked so miserable. It was good friends with the owner and took me many times. It was slimy green turtles. We heard the lion there often. The lions always looked like slightly plucked velvet toys. <laughs> that place was terrible. terrible. Andrew Polson also remembered the zoo. It was quite apparent to me that the crocodile was miserable and I'm sure a lot of people talk about the crocodile because it had such little space and it was a big crocodile and there was this pool of water and this little air off the side where it, it could barely do anything in and that made an impression on me and I feel like it wasn't much better elsewhere in there there was there was the otters were in this tiny little concrete area and I remember the monkeys were really manic uh, one of them actually uh, ripped the sunglasses off my mother's head and put them on and ripped them up. So, a bit of entertainment for the monkeys. The zoo was about 10 minutes from my grandmother's house. Aaron Alexander lives in Wellington, but he grew up in Christchurch. And for him, the New Brighton Zoo, or the North Beach Zoo as it was also called, conjures up some special memories. A very sort of special place in my heart. I was only a a tiny wee thing, so no conception of there being any issues around animal care or anything like that. It was just this special little place that my grandmother and I would go to. And it was almost like our little secret. When I was a preschooler and I'd stay with her, it was quite a regular thing we'd do. She'd pop me on the carrier on the back of her old bicycle and, and ride me down to the zoo. After we'd been there a few times, 
as we'd get closer. I can still remember my adrenaline kind of getting up and, and the thrill of going and knowing um, that one of the first things you'd see would be this um, amazing crocodile up close. We'd walk in and I'd hold tightly onto her hand, grip a little bit tighter. At least in my memory, the crocodile was, was very close to the entrance behind the glass. As a little kid, I wouldn't want to get any closer, but I was, but I was drawn and compelled. There was this beautiful mix of, of uh, terror and excitement. He was kind of at eye level. He barely moved. I remember asking, is he definitely real? Because he was so still, I was always waiting for him to see me and, and turn around and snap. Aaron was transfixed and mesmerised by this creature and his grandmother would have to drag him away to see the other animals. And then you'd see the crocodile again on the way out. In Christchurch we had a Rana Park, which was you know a big trip out in the car, out to the country, slightly outside of town, and, and there were huge lions and open space and all that sort of thing. This was between a few houses, just on a, on a normal street. It didn't seem, even at that age, like that's where you'd expect a zoo to be. Which also made it even more peculiar. Now, I also received a message from a man called Miles Dalton. He grew up in the neighbourhood and he worked at the zoo in the late 80s into the early 90s. I went round all the businesses in the neighbourhood and asked if they had any jobs going. When I got to the zoo, I asked Bill. He said he might have. Bill, the owner, took him out back. And I found myself with him in a cage full of monkeys. And the monkeys came up to me. Uh, one climbed up on my shoulder and started picking through my hair. And he basically said, um, well, you weren't scared of them and they didn't attack you, so I'll take you on. From that point on, Miles started working at the zoo part-time. He was about 16 or 17 years old. It was certainly a trial by fire. Bill took me around and showed me how to deal with the different animals and, and told me a lot, but, I mean, I don't think there was any formal training as such. So a lot of it was basically cleaning. Um, so going, going into different enclosures, um, cleaning out the water, cleaning out the, basically the bedrooms, if you like, making sure everything was tidy. Depending on the season, I'd dig a hole for the monkeys, say, and make a swimming pool for them so they could have somewhere to swim in or find toys they could have, take food around the zoo and fix whatever needed to be fixed, really. Miles' work varied throughout the year. But as with any tourist attraction, albeit local, the zoo was busy with visitors during the warmer months. During the summer, they didn't need much extra feeding, but in the winter, um, we had to do a lot of extra feeding. Definitely very, very busy in the summer. Uh, we made food for the customers to feed the animals as they went around, like little bowls of fruit and, and nibbles that the monkeys could have. So people could take their tins of goodies around and feed them to the monkeys as they went. So it wasn't like meat for the lions. <laughs> now, even for those who visited the zoo, it still remains a bit of a mystery. How did it even come about? Well, the funny thing is the zoo was there before all the houses, so originally it was out in the middle of the countryside. He bought it in as, as an aquarium and then ended up getting a monkey here and there and then suddenly he had a zoo. There were also some myths surrounding the zoo and a story in particular about the lion. There was a point where Bill used to take the lion for walks on the beach but then it got too populated so he couldn't do that anymore. So who was the man behind the zoo? What was he like to work with? And was Bill just a bizarre guy with a strange obsession? 
He, he was really lovely. Quite old school in his approach, of course, but I think he would have been, if not in his 80s, approaching his 80s when I first started working there. And his only sort of nod to his age was that he had a nap at lunchtime. Arana Park opened in the mid-70s. It was a much larger, more well-equipped open-range zoo. So did Bill ever feel the pressure or see it as competition that would get in the way of marketing his own zoo to the public? I don't think that Bill ever really marketed the zoo in a big way. He really was there for looking after the animals and the lifestyle that he had made there. It wasn't really aimed as a big money-making venture. If I remember rightly, it was $3 for adults to get in and $1.50 for kids. So it was, it was peanuts to get in. But he was a hard, hard worker. He would work a 12-hour day, seven days a week. He was hugely passionate about the animals. Um, a lot of the animals he'd gotten from places that didn't necessarily look after them well or didn't want them anymore. A lot of those animals had been saved by being put down by him. And he tried to make sure that they were kept the best they could be. They did all have names and everyone had a soft spot for Susie the Lion. Miles was fond of the animals and part of his job was visiting Susie every morning. Now, just to give you an idea of how big she was... Miles is about six foot two. And she came up well above my waist anyway. She was a big lioness. The kind of big you don't want to mess with. But if she liked you, she liked you. Yeah, you'd go in, she was friendly. Um, If she wasn't friendly, you'd know it before you went in. But you still had to be careful. There was one guy Bill told me about who she rubbed against the way cats rub against people and she broke his leg. And just as everyone had a kind of soft spot for Susie... Well, Susie, as it turned out, had a soft spot for Miles. Usually when I'd go in, I'd go in with a grooming brush that Bill had and she'd roll over on her tummy and I'd rub her tummy with it um, and then we'd get on with it. Miles used to work on the weekends and one Sunday morning he popped into her enclosure. Miles wasn't feeling quite himself. I went in hungover. And Susie noticed... So as I was cleaning out her water bowl, um, she came up behind me. She opened her mouth and he felt sharp teeth. And put her mouth around my ass. I was immediately sober. She didn't sink her teeth in or anything, she was just trying to get my attention. Now that we're on to big animals, how about Charlie the Crocodile, the mini zoo star of the show, who didn't really do much, although that was part of the attraction. A lot of people thought Charlie was stuffed, which um, actually was never the case. And Charlie did sit for long periods of time without moving. But yeah, didn't move much except when it was feeding time. And then, oh boy, yeah, that that was massive. But despite visitors thinking Charlie lived in the glass enclosure, that wasn't quite the case. The crocodile wasn't in a smaller space when it was indoors, but it actually had a reasonably large outdoor enclosure as well, which it could go um, out to when it wanted to, um, when the weather was warm enough. But when the weather was cold, of course, as a crocodile, it wanted to stay in the warmer space. And because Charlie didn't move much, Miles had an idea that could kind of spice the experience up for visitors. I actually wanted to get one of those fake cracks to put on the glass window outside just to give people a bit of a fright, but Bill wouldn't let me. And something that came as a surprise to everyone. Found out it was a she after she died, I think. You could say there wasn't much monkeying around. Unless you were dealing with the monkeys, that is. Oh, yeah. I mean, the monkeys were cheeky. They they had great fun, um, particularly when they impersonated humans. They loved that. If they could get hold of someone's watch or their hat or something like that, they'd run around the enclosure um, pretending to be a human and the rest of them would all be rolling around, um, finding it very funny. 
they would always take the game a bit further. The monkeys knew exactly who to target. You could tell the type. So usually what they would target was a smallish woman and they'd wait till that person was right in the middle of all the enclosures and then they'd all launch themselves um, against the enclosures and just go wild and they'd be shrieking and yelling and the, usually the person would stand in the middle just not knowing what to do or where to go. I don't know about you, but I'd be screaming at this point. And the monkeys would do that for a while until they got bored of it and then go back to what they were doing. But they'd find that quite amusing. And then there was Arnie, a large pigtailed monkey. So not, not a huge monkey, but big enough. Otherwise known as macaques, pigtailed monkeys have semi-erect short tails and males can weigh up to 15 kgs. One day, Miles was at work. It was much the same as any other day. He carried on with his routine as usual, cleaning out Arnie's enclosure. And each enclosure has two gates. So you go in one, lock it behind you, and then go in the other and, and close that and lock that behind you. So this time I went in through the first one and locked it behind me, went in through the second one, and he bolted through. And I thought, that's fine, he, he's going to get stopped by the second gate. Except Arnie didn't do what Miles expected. Shoved his weight against it and the lock snapped. And Arnie made a run for it. So he was out. He was surveying the neighbourhood, which meant Miles had no choice but to take along for the rooftop ride around North Beach. Climbing on the fences and the roofs in the neighbourhood, I followed him, um, and of course I'm not so good at climbing on fences and roofs as he is, so I got behind, and when I got behind, he'd wait for me. So eventually we ended up on a, the rooftop of a house and Bill caught up with us and he threw us up some food that we shared. A kind of casual rooftop picnic, if you like. And by which point I'm sure a beer or wine could have gone down a treat. The media even turned up and took a photo of Arnie and Miles on the roof. And we have a photo if you'd like to see that on the RNZ Eyewitness page. I don't think I was panicking as such. It was over a period of a couple of hours that this all happened, so... But the next bit was the trickiest. How to get Arnie, who's now enjoying the sunlight and fresh air, and all that fruit, off the roof. Then we had the idea that we um, opened up the garage of the house below us. Bill squirted the hose at at the both of us, so I ran down the roof and jumped down and ran into the garage, and he followed me. People closed the gate to the garage from there and there was a net in there waiting for me, um, so I was able to recapture him. On a sadder note, Rena the tiger had passed away while Miles had worked there. He and Bill had helped to bury her in a deep hole and Miles made a mental note of where she was in the hopes that one day he'd find her again. Where Susie was a friendly lion, Rena was um, not so friendly a tiger, so I didn't have as much to do with her. Well, years later, after the zoo closed in 1996, he went back because it was just an empty lot at that stage. So Doug, where I thought I'd buried her, thinking I'd have a tiger skull um, to keep. Um, But no, no luck. I I couldn't remember. I think it's probably for the best. I I also think it's illegal to own tiger skulls in New Zealand. At least five years after Miles had finished working at the zoo, it closed its doors for good in 1996. Animal rights activists had been protesting against it, There was also a global shift happening around animal cruelty and a heightened awareness about how animals should be cared for. But looking back, Miles knew the animals, but even he says it was a product of its time. Well, it didn't fit modern sensibilities at all. There are people who are against zoos in general. 
It's a hard one because I knew they were well cared for, but at the same time, the enclosures were small. I would imagine that if the zoo had stayed open, it would have it would have had to change by now. It doesn't fit modern sensibilities. Do you think Bill understood that as well? I guess he also developed an even closer relationship with the animals and what he felt he was probably fighting for to protect them you know, also had a different sense of meaning to him than probably what other people could understand or comprehend. Absolutely, and especially since a lot of the animals had come from places where they weren't well cared for. I had heard from Bill um, some of the stories about what happened to the big cats before they got to the zoo. He he hadn't wanted to take those cats on. But Susie in particular had a burn mark on her nose from how she'd been treated at the circus. Originally, he was looking after the big cats until the circus was going to take them back. But when the circus owner came back to take the cats back, Susie in particular was up against the cage, ferocious. Bill had told the circus owner, look, I don't want you to take them back, I will buy them off you. With that context, it makes a bigger difference of what the zoo was for the animals. Miles had a unique insight into the day-to-day running of the North Beach Zoo. There are lots of things he'll remember but also some things that he'd like other people to be aware of too. I don't think they know how, how much those animals were cared for, how deeply they were cared for, and how much effort we put in to make sure that they were actually well looked after and um, given fun. Miles left his job at the zoo around 1990 or 1991, and a year later headed back for a visit and I was chatting with Bill and the animals heard me chatting and the zoo went wild, like all the animals um, screaming and yelling and roaring and they wouldn't stop until I actually went round and said hello to all of them. That was great. It was really, really nice and they all wanted some attention. It was, it was like, yeah, it was, it was like a homecoming. Miles never saw Bill or the animals again. As for Bill Gray, after discovering an old newspaper clipping entitled Bill's Colourful Family... It says of Redcliffe's born West Coast raised man was granted a life membership to the Arana Park Wildlife Reserve and passed away at the age of 89. Yeah, I, I, I did really enjoy it and I loved working in the zoo. I, I loved being friends with the monkeys in particular. It spoiled me for having any other pets. You're listening to Eyewitness and that was Miles Dalton. You also heard Andrew Paulson and Aaron Alexander. I'm your host and producer, Sonia Yee, and the studio engineer was Mark Chesterman. If you'd like to listen to more from the series, head to rnz.co.nz forward slash eyewitness or download via Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts. Catch you next time. Do you love anime, gaming, movies, and discovering how your favorite pop culture affects everything you do? Then join us on Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. Every week you can listen in while we break down the latest pop culture news and dish on what new releases we can't get enough of. Whether you love movies, I'm going to tell you all about the uh, hopeful 4K re-release of Tron Legacy that happens. (laughs) (laughs) I'm right there with you. Or music. The music in this show is absolutely incredible. Or anime. And under this mask is another mask. (laughs) You can discover your new favorites right here on The Anime Effect. Listen every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts, and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or on the Crunchyroll YouTube channel.